the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Monday, November 20th. Dan Soman joins in just a few minutes to break down a ton of Major League Baseball stuff. Basically, some some rumors, some storylines, some names, some notable players and teams that are in the news as we are amidst Major League Baseball free agency. The non-tenders are in. A couple of trades have already hit the books. Teams are starting to percolate towards those December winter meetings, which is really where all the meat and potatoes starts to happen. But there's names. It's big names. There's going to be big contracts, possibly big trades coming out of the next couple of weeks. Dan and I break down as much of it as humanly possible in about 40 minutes. So quickly, week 11 of the NFL season is almost complete. But man, feels like it's not even started yet because tonight's Philly Casey game has so much to it, including probably a new leader in the clubhouse in terms of the MVP because Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes are currently neck and neck in that regard. So if you're an MVP better, tonight is something to watch because if these two knock each other out a little bit, Look out for the Dak Prescotts of the world, maybe even the Trevor Lawrences of the world. Certainly the Tyree Kills of the world who continue to do amazing things on the field on a weekly basis. Let's talk about some players who unfortunately couldn't stay on the field. Deshaun Watson, we talked about him a little last week. Man, there was some misinformation out there. Listen, I'm, I'm not putting anybody down for this cap stuff because it's a pain in the ass to keep track of. And it's something that... Really, you shouldn't be taken care of because right? if you're a football fan, why do you care so much? It's good to know this stuff. It's good to follow this stuff. But man, don't go on television, please, and say that there's a you know $64 million of cap hits for the next five years if Deshaun Watson is released or if he can't play again. It's just, it's just wrong. All right. There's just a lot of bad information going out there. I just want to clear it up a little bit. By the way, Cleveland's not doing anything with this contract or Deshaun Watson. He's going to come back from this shoulder surgery. His ankle is going to be healed. And he's going to be the, I would assume, the week one starting quarterback in 2024 for the Cleveland Browns. And they'll be just happy with that because, quite frankly, there are a lot worse contracts that have hit the books. All right. I get this is fully guaranteed. I get this is the unicorn and this is the, the sore subject in a lot of NFL front offices. But this isn't the worst contract on the books by a, by a mile. Is he an elite quarterback anymore? I don't think so. Can he do it at times? Yeah. And he was about to start doing it for a few weeks, I think. So as I said last week, this is crazy and fortunate, but hypothetically speaking, all right, release is out of the question. There's no releasing this player out of a fully guaranteed contract, but hypothetically speaking, let's just say Cleveland decides they have to get out of this circus and they want to go younger or whatever, there would be a $63 million dead cap hit to trade him next March. I don't know if that's what was being said and tossed around. They'd actually save a million on the cap. Why? Because for the next three seasons, as it currently stands, Deshaun Watson's cap hit is just under $64 million. 2024, 2025, 2026. And then there's actually $9 million in voidable dead cap because they've done a restructure excuse me, this past March. They're going to restructure it again next March. It's going to be in the 20s somewhere, low 20s. And everybody's going to be none for the worse. So there are a lot other areas that this Cleveland team needs to address. Keeping Amari Cooper, probably finding him a legitimate number two option, continuing to bolster that offensive line. 
that defense is going to be unbelievably expensive, right? I mean, they're getting a discount on Miles Garrett. There's no question about that. But he's locked in for a couple more seasons. The Denzel Ward contract looks good. There's a lot of work to do to keep this kind of flip-flop team together. And this is an inside-out team, and it's the only reason they're staying alive right now with whatever quarterback they want to throw there. So there's a lot of money that's going to be tossed around. The dead cap for Deshaun Watson is not something that has to be of anybody's concern in terms of the Cleveland Browns yet. Soon, definitely. Even after this thing expires, right? If they don't extend him and all these void years eventually have to come to roost, it's going to be a massive number because they're going to do four consecutive restructures on this things or cap conversions on this. And, you know, not unlike Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers that have gigantic hits on their respective previous teams right now, that's what's going to happen here to Watson. But he's not playing bad enough to consider moving on. This injury isn't career threatening, I don't believe, but I could be incorrect. There's no reason to talk about dead cap with Deshaun Watson. In a similar vein, Joe Burrow, freak injury, injury still being investigated. I'll leave that alone. But man, oh man, if that's the deal, Cincinnati's going to lose a draft pick here. Let's not even talk about a fine. They're going to lose a draft pick if they have game the system a little bit here with that Joe Burrow wrist injury. But here we are. He's out for the year. The Bengals season is probably in the tank now. It was already way behind the eight ball. And he was going to have to do some magical things to to bring them back. I had I certainly had hopes, but those hopes are dashed. And uh, Jake Browning is going to be probably a a decent game manager. But I, I think this offense needs needs explosion more more than anything. You know, Mixon's going to carry the, There's some defensive players coming back that could help them. I don't think they have enough horses in the barn right now to, to really make a difference from last place, which is where they are in the division. This is only year one, right? And, and really all this is, is a cash-heavy, cap-neutral look at year four of his rookie contract. So if we're just putting all the semantics aside and lining things up, this was year four of the rookie contract. They had exercised the $29.5 million fifth-year option for next year. It's all, it all kind of looks the same. So next year's cap it, for instance, is 29.7, right? They're probably not going to touch it. They might have to if they're considering T. Higgins, if they're considering a couple of the defensive players that are up. We'll talk about the Bengals certainly in some off-season stuff here in the next couple of weeks. But for the most part, this contract was set to not be touched until 2025 when they really would have had to talk about a, a new contract anyway. So we're, we're not quite there yet, even though he's made $45.5 million this year and he'll have made $111 million through next year. So plenty of cash up front. He did a really, really nice job in structuring it that way. But from a team perspective, this injury does nothing from a cap situation to really change anything. This was always going to be, let's play this out for a couple of years. It's it's extremely cap-friendly for two years. Hopefully his return comes with plenty of players still around him, uh, you know, and hopefully it doesn't get depleted too quickly. And they, losing this half year, you know, it's a big part when you're, when you're in a Super Bowl window, a half a season like this is deadly. So the contract was set for this and next year to be the big years. Obviously, this isn't going to happen for 2023, but... No cause for concern outside of him rehabbing to full health that the contract has to be touched. I would assume they just let this option bonus kick in and they go from there. It's a $55 million option bonus for those playing at home. So plenty of cash, not a ton of cap to deal with. Joe Burrow should be back and hopefully 
plenty of his friends are still around him come week one of 2024. A couple of smaller things to get to. Um, I, I saw that Aaron Jones was carted off. I don't yet know the full capacity of that injury, but it's a running back. He's 28 and change, almost 29 years old. This was probably going to be his last season on this contract. There is one more year left. It's a one for 12 remaining. He'll be 30 years old at that point in time, you know, mid-season. I don't know. The cap hits about 17-7. Yes, they have a nice Jordan Love contract, but even that's a, a what-if question mark. Bakhtiari's probably fallen off this roster. They've already traded Rajul Douglas. I just don't know what this team's going to be, but it's possible. And again, I don't know the the brevity of the injury, but it's possible that we've seen the last of Aaron Jones in Green Bay and that he is looking for one of those Dalvin Cook type contracts for much of next offseason or accept something extremely incentive laden somewhere else. So this could be a very, very good weapon on a very cheap running back contract like we always tend to see at this type, type of player's career. So something to keep note of, um, that contract is probably falling off here. There's void years tacked onto it. So it's not going to be a ton of savings to release them, unfortunately. Uh, it's only going to be about five and a half if they do this before 6-1, which I imagine they would because everybody needs their cap space on March 13th when this thing all gets going. So just a, a heads up, if the injury is as serious as it looked, expect the, the Packers to fall off this contract. There's no injury guarantee in that last year. And if they don't bring him back, interesting to figure out what kind of one-year or two-year deal he can garner on the open market, probably with a contender. <clears throat> nope. Okay. That's it. We'll have more in the SpotTrack newsletter as I compile some thoughts here today before the holidays kicks in. And we will have Dan Sulman join me next with plenty of really interesting baseball talks, some contract discussions, some trade discussions, some team discussions about some things we were reading between the lines with that I think uh, may be of interest. Some contenders last year that seem to be going the other way for 2024. That's next. We've done an extension piece, a trade candidate piece. I know he's working on non-tenders that are going to be pretty much announced at this point in time as we set 40-man rosters for, I guess, the start of free agency, which really hasn't happened yet, even though it happened eh, about two weeks ago. And we'll get a signing here eventually. There's a trade to talk about. We're going to talk about potentially, I don't know, a half dozen more that I think could hit in the, in the coming weeks and months. So Dan, welcome back. Uh, I know you've had your head buried in really gross MLB data, right? Not so much the fun stuff. But the fun stuff is here. It's coming. We have a Braves trade. Of course, it's the Braves to start this process off, right? That's like saying the Eagles got, got the NFL trade deadline going because it's the annual tradition. Um, let's speak to that quickly. It's a six-player deal. That's rare for baseball. And it's the Braves acquiring a reliever, a position I didn't think they needed to add <laughs> this offseason. Uh, certainly a starter. Maybe some depth in terms of uh, you know outfielders and things like that. Something to replace Ozuna in the coming months here. But I don't know. This this wasn't on my radar. Although the White Sox moving off of a big contract is certainly on my radar. So talk about the the two sided deal here and all the uh, assets that came along with it. <clears throat> yeah, at face value, it kind of shocked me a little bit. Some of the names included from the Braves side. Um, once I sat with it a little bit and um, looked at some uh, outside opinions, um, it's really a good baseball deal. And I think from the Atlanta side, it was really strategic for a number of ways. Now, 
we've talked at length at how mm-hmm. great they've been at locking up young young talent to multi-year um you know pre-arb and arbitration extensions um the sort of negative like if there is a negative side of that i've spoken about it's that you like they don't have a lot of roster flexibility now they have a ton um a ton of those spots locked up um mm-hmm. with with premier names making um like decent money on multi-year extensions so <clears throat> that's kind of and all i'm trying to say in terms of tweaking your roster from now on like every year they can't they can't just run out the same seven position players for the next seven uh for the next three to four seasons that if they're all locked up and expect um you know every now they're all incredible players don't get me wrong but there's going to be some you know some some ads around the edges if you will so in terms of this they were in sort of a 40-man crunch the guys that were included didn't really have a prominent role. Um, most of the Braves writers I, I follow seem to think Mike Soroka was almost definitely being non-tendered. Yeah, um, toast. Right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. They get they they basically take a buy low on Aaron Bummer, who um, is it's more of a strategic. He's not going to be the go-to lefty in that bullpen, which is nice. He's probably third in line there, so. It, 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 to me, it's a nice buy low while shipping off um, five players that really didn't have a role going forward. Now, the names, you know, Braden Shoemake a year ago, that would have been sort of a, in, you know, a shocking name to have been included in this. Uh, in the in the year since, he, he had a pretty poor season, so he was really not the name that people thought he was. Um, mm-hmm. Jared Schuster, same thing, kind of a middling prospect. They, it, so... So really what it did for the Braves is just open up 40-man space for them to make some moves around the edges while buying low on a player, an Aaron Bummer, um, who, I mean, I, I don't expect him to be some elite reliever, but I think it is a nice way to kind of just like cash in five chips that were probably going to mean nothing to you in, you know, in like a week here um, for a guy that could be a piece who's locked up you know if he does have a rebound season he's locked up through 2020 he could be locked up through 2026 so right so you know you can never have too many relievers that's what every contender in this league knows you're right though about the position players on that team and i think it's what bit him in the ass come october right that they were so reliant on their starting nine that are starting eight really that when push came to shove and a couple of those guys were ice cold at the plate, they just didn't have a bat off the bench to kind of fix that. So I, I expect there's, there's going to be plenty of depth ads. And by the way, that's pretty easy to do when you're a team as good as the Braves have been real quickly uh, before we move off of them. I, I know they're loosely in the Otani conversation and blah, blah, blah. What's their plan at shortstop? Is this a team that's going to make a, a splashy move at shortstop? I don't think they like Von Grissom, right? And I don't think he's the shortstop of the future. If anything, he's a depth everywhere infielder utility type player, probably, though he he may be able to handle things for a, a short-term time. But it seems like they have, you know, without saying it, told us that he's he's not ready to be that guy yet. This is a this is a World Series favorite, right? I mean, they they let Swanson walk on what I thought was a super fair value deal last year, and he lived up to it. Another gold glove and really took that Cubs lineup forward. What's the plan here? Are they going to limp in, into this thing again? Or do you think that there's a there's a blockbuster move to be made here on this organization? Yeah, so to my previous point, if we're trying to look at places to upgrade, really, in my opinion, it 
was it, the Braves really only need starting pitching and you can upgrade at shortstop and left field, which there are both basically open, mm-hmm. um, open here. So I agree with you. Um, they did get that Orlando RC extension done last year. So he's locked up at a mm-hmm. very low price, but we kind of saw how that played out down the stretch. Um, and in the postseason. I think that they would like to upgrade there. It sounds like Vaughn Grisham is all but done at shortstop. I think he's getting yeah. reps and left field now. Um, so yes, exactly. I think shortstop is a place they upgrade now. The Braves aren't going to be shopping in the deep end, but I do think, I, I mean, offline, I theorize with you that they could be a, a hobby bias candidate to me where if he's being, you know, he opted in to the remainder of his contract, but if Detroit wants to move on, he in theory wants to move on and they're going to ship, they're going to trade him and eat some of that contract. I think the Braves would definitely be a team willing to buy low where they can stuff him at the bottom of their roster. Um, and it would be, it would probably be an upgrade in a number of ways. Um, I mean, they, they have, Doing what they did last year, they admitted that they they preferred the defense over offense at that spot with the rest of those players on that roster. And and the one thing that has stuck with Javi Javi Baez is he's still a premium defender. Things other other aspects of his game has fallen off. I think if the Braves could get him at a discounted price, uh, it would be another buy low for them um, with a guy that would offer premium defense and a, a bit more ceiling at offense. So. That's a total, uh, you know, out of left field move. I, I'm just theorizing, but shortstop, outfield are the two spots they probably try to upgrade um, this offseason. I think, in addition to the pitching, the pitching is the is the obvious spot, though. Oh yeah, there's a starter or two that have to have to hit this roster before the end of the day. Here's my bold prediction because it's mid November and that's what you're supposed to do with Major League Baseball. Hassan Kim, Dan. The Padres are looking to shed some stuff. He's on basically an expiring contract. There's a vesting option for next year that can can kick in. Uh, Gold glove short, shortstop player. He's played all over that infield. Uh, I think if the Padres are serious about moving off a player like that, the Braves should be all over that. And by the way, that's not going to pillage your prospect pool, right? I mean, it's a it's a low buy. You're right. They're not going to go in the deep end for two. You know. Baez is is, a, is probably a deep end situation because of what Detroit has to pay in that contract to get him out the door. I don't think it's going to be even that flashy though. I think Kim is a perfect fit, which is terrifying as a Mets fan because that, I think he immediately makes that team even better and he adds depth behind Albies who has been injury prone early in his career. So that's my bold prediction here to kind of fix that hole for the Braves. Okay, let's get to the Mets and then we'll move on to some AL teams as well. The Pete Alonso stuff's not going away. And I thought when David Stern stepped into the role, and certainly when they hired a coach, that the the whole collective unit would would make priority number one coming out and saying, we are 110% motivated in signing Pete Alonso, and that is the end of the conversation. And that just hasn't been the case, right? They're still trickling into this thing as if to say, yeah, we're listening, you know? And the Cubs are still there and there's other teams, I'm sure, making phone calls and David Stearns. I'm not saying don't listen. Definitely listen, right? Because if somebody absolutely wants to blow you away here, then you have to sit there and flip a coin and figure out what you're going to do. But why isn't this organization 
doing what's supposed to be done from a PR standpoint, which is, this is our guy. This is the cornerstone of our franchise. We know how much it's going to take to keep him. We're doing everything possible to negotiate the best deal for both sides. And and the, the plan is to have him here for the rest of his career. Why not just say that out loud like every other sports team does, right? I, I really don't have a good answer, Mike. And I, I mean, my best guess is maybe they're trying to create a soft landing in the case that he does leave um, under promise. Well, under deliver in this case, I guess, but um, yeah. Is there a chance Dan, that I'm missing the part where Pete Alonzo has asked to be traded? Right. See, I don't, I would be shocked if it got to that point. I'm just going through the framework of the Scott Boris client. Like he's at this stage, there's no way Scott Boris is encouraging an extension unless it's an, unless it's an historic extension, which I think the Mets are and well, they're, they're definitely pausing on that. And I think they're right to pause on that. Not necessarily that's a knock on the player. I just think like the way they came in, spent money last year. I, I don't blame them for taking just a little bit more of a strategic approach going forward before they commit a, let's say 10 for $300 million contract to somebody like Pete Alonso. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. I'm just saying, I think with the Scott Boris factor that like, unless they blow the doors off of it, he's not going to sign anyway. So maybe they're just like setting up in the case that he does get moved or does not sign an extension or does not sign with them. And I'm not even sure it's just last year, right? One of the first orders of business was acquire and then extend Francisco Lindor to a contract that is way above board. Let's just be honest. He's a phenomenal player. You know, he's probably going to be an all MLB player again this year. It's just too much money. And if that's the bar in New York now, then then no way Scott Boris is saying we'll take anything friendly, you know, with 12 months left on this whole team control situation. I just think even if you believe, you know, I, I don't I don't think it's wrong to go out there and say we are doing the only thing we're thinking about right now is signing Pete Alonso. And yeah. at the, and then, then at the end of the day, when you do get, you know, a gigantic seven player trade from uh, from Chicago, whoever the hell it's going to be, you simply just turn around and say this came up at the last minute. It's just something we couldn't refuse. I just feel like they're doing this to do this, uh, you know, to stir the pot, to make sure nobody knows exactly where things are at, because you're probably right. They've probably gotten nowhere with an extension. Boris just doesn't do business when it's within this kind of window left before free agency. Although, I don't know, is Pete Alonso's value now any different than it's going to be a year from now? Isn't it argumentative to say that this is as high as Pete, Pete Alonso's value can be? I mean, awful, miserable season, and he still prevailed, right? Yeah, I think it, I think that's probably true on both sides. That like, I don't think a ton of, inlet, barring an injury, I don't think a ton of value is going to be lost or gained in the next twelve months. Mm-hmm. So that that's a fair point, which is probably why Scott Boris is saying, "Well, like, just wait twelve months when you have a bunch more teams that can acquire you at any cost." Um, unless of course the Mets offer what they're, you know, in the range of what they're looking for. But I just, I feel like that might be, uh, a little bit premature on their, their end, but I don't know where this goes. It's, it's, I did a, I did a a deep dive on this because I'm obviously, you know, invested as a fan, but also I I do think it's one of the more interesting traditional contracts we're going to have on the, at least on the table 
this winter, you know, and, and I'm obviously leaving Otani out of that because there's nothing traditional about what's, what that's going to look like. I, I had a real come to come to Jesus moment with this. And, and it's something that you've been talking about for a while that I, I had to include in this piece. And it's on spotrek.com for those of you that want to want to actually read and see some numbers to this. Um, and it's the first baseman effect. And there's two or three other first basemen we can have this discussion about right now about being moved off a roster that are good enough to keep, but teams probably want to move off of it and start over and get younger and cheaper at that position. Do you have any reasoning behind that? Is it just that the defense has become so malleable at that position, you know, that that a Bryce Harper can just slot in there and that's his new position now for the rest of his career, which is literally what just happened in, the, in a matter of about six months? Is it just because it's not that hard to replace defensively anymore. So even if you're a great defensive first baseman and a great hitter, the defensive side of it sort of devalues a team's want to keep that player high price for too long. I'm giving, let's bring Goldschmidt into this conversation, a player who right. I actually think is going to move, Dan. I think Goldschmidt's going to move. And, and Hosmer's in this conversation. His career's probably ending a lot earlier than many of us thought it should be. And, and I do think it has to do with his positioning, right? It's... You know, shortstops are being valued probably too high. And I think first basemen are undervalued in some degree. But Pete's going to fall in this camp, right? We talk, you, you mentioned 10 for 300. If I'm giving away all of my my projection secrets here, I got him 9 to nine at 270, right? I didn't get to that 300 point. And part of it is that if you start to look at the Freddie Freemans and the Matt Olsons and the Paul Goldschmidts and all these premier first basemen that hit at or even better than Pete in some instances, they didn't even come close to $300 million. So what are we talking about here with a player like Pete that may be demanding Aaron Judge's contract? It just contrasting that situation, how, do the, how does the first baseman side of this in, you know, come into play when we're talking about these monster contracts right now? Yeah, I totally agree. It's fair to wonder if he'll get that big of a deal. And I, and I think you struggling to get his number there is is totally valid, even mm-hmm. though um, some it might surprise some people. But I think the fir- the first base factor. I mean, I'm not an MLB front office, obviously, but I think it's a nice spot to have flexibility unless you have an elite superstar. Now, people might argue Pete Alonso is that elite superstar, but it's just a spot to me you don't want to have locked up for ten years when. It is a place that um, players on the back nine of their career can be. Yeah, so it's, it's, not, it's a place players up. end up, right? It's a place players end up. It's not a play, something you actually kind of plan for most of the time, right? Right. So, like, if Rafi Dever, if Rafael Devers has to move, he's probably moving to first base DH kind of thing, right? So, if you have a seven for hundred fifty dollar or hundred fifty million dollar player there already. What are you doing now? So I just think it's like in theory a nice spot to have flexibility, but like that's also not ignoring if you can get Matt Olson to hit you fifty home runs every year, right. then that's okay. That's okay for the next half decade, right? So, right. Um, <laughs> I, so I see both sides of it. I'm just saying, um, like for me, a Cleveland fan, um, you know, small market. That's a that's a place they always try and shop in the bargain barrel and have had some had had some luck with Mike Napoli's and, you know, Carlos Santana, uh, you know, third stints and things like that. It's, it's a place you can invest 
you know, middling money and get some decent returns still comparatively. Now, I'm not I'm not comparing Mike Napoli to Freddie Freeman or you know, <laughs> Pete Olsen, but I'm just saying, Homer. relatively speaking, I think it's a nice spot to have some flexibility. If we just talk about Freeman quickly, because I think there's there's plenty to compare to there. They've played against each other a bunch. There's, you know, I I think people would argue Freeman's a slightly be- better defensive first baseman, though Pete has answered every bell on that regard. I mean, there's really nothing, you know, denigrating him from from a, being a great defensive first baseman at this point in time. But I, if I just run percent of tax payrolls in Freddie Freeman, right? His rookie extension in Atlanta, which we know is going to be undervalued because that's how Atlanta's operated now for quite a long time here. It was about 9% of the tax payroll back then, right? And if we just talk about the Dodgers contract, which is $27 million a year now for Freddie Freeman, pulling him away from Atlanta, that was 2022. That's about 11.5%. So if we just take the 2024 tax salary, which is 237 this year, and we run 11.5% of that, it's still about $27 million a year. All right. So that times nine is 240. (laughs) Okay. So if we just take Freeman and his metrics, by the way, with great teams, right? With Atlanta and the Dodgers, this isn't, you know, the, the, or the, you know, the small market worst team in the league trying to overpay to get a superstar on the roster. This is one of the best teams in all of baseball, bringing in one of the best players in all of baseball at 11 and a half percent of the tax salary. That that's what the Mets have to be doing here, right? Like we're not going to thirty million a year, let alone thirty six million a year, like Aaron Judge is. Even though statistically, from a home run standpoint and a batted ball standpoint, yeah, you look and feel a lot like Aaron Judge. I, there's probably a massive gap right now between where Scott Boris is and where the rest of the baseball front office is with a player like Pete Alonso who isn't running around the outfield as well as hitting fifty home runs a year. Is that probably fair to say? I think it's dead on, Mike, and I think the gap is in term rather than AAV, if that makes sense. So, like, the Freddie Freeman Yes and no, right? Yes and no, because don't you think the Mets would be willing to go farther if it meant their AAV could drop? Or do you think that's completely backwards thinking these days? Well, well, I think in terms of the first base conversation, it might it might be in inverse compared to, like, my normal line of thinking. And I say that the, the Atlanta Freddie Freeman deal fell apart over a sixth year. But, that's right. He wanted, sorry, the Braves wanted five. Freeman's side insisted on six. He ended up signing in it in LA for less total dollars than he would have had with the Braves, but a different term. Right? And to be so, fair, I think we've already heard that happen with the Mets. I think the Mets have offered eight and the, and Pete was asking for nine. Is that correct? I would have to double check, but that does sound right to me. Yeah. I feel like I have heard that. Um, I'm getting confused with some of these early extension talk guys, uh, <laughs> Bobby Witts and, that and stuff, but I do think that there was talk of that. And it and it it makes sense to me with the first base for the point I just made. I'm not saying my point is correct. I'm just saying it aligns with that. If there's if there's a war over the term of these guys at thir- 25 plus million dollars, I mean yep. it kind of makes sense, right? So <clears throat> okay, um, just got feeling. Stay or go this winter. Man, it 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 is not trend to me. Maybe I'm buying too much into like the hype, but it's trending in a direction that it looks like go to me. But okay, I'm 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 already prepared for that. I've already started to package up my jerseys and stuff, so I know <laughs> that it's a, a distinct possibility. Juan Soto, I'll start with that question: Does he stay in San Diego or does he go? He's been one of the hot names. He's got he's a go to me. I think. Okay. He's, 
definitely going. All right. So then we're talking Yankees. We're talking all the big boys. Boston's probably in on this to try to resurrect whatever, you know, whatever has happened over the past three years there. Um, all the big names are in on Juan Soto. So to me, it's less about destination. Is somebody trying to acquire Juan Soto right now for one year? Or is this a Frankie, Frankie Lindor, we're bringing you in. It's going to cost us a fortune to get you. And then we're, we're going to spend a fortune to keep you all in one big package, which is becoming rarer and rarer these days, by the way. Now, Soto's a rare player. He has had his up and down. So I'm not sure, sure where I even sit on him personally right now. I can tell you the math still has him near the top of the position player contracts in terms of valuation. But, you know, there was a 18 months ago, Dan, I had, I had math and I had logic behind a $500 million contract. I don't think that still exists, right? I mean, we're, we're talking slightly above Aaron Judge and probably no more than that. Uh, unless there's an actual bidding war. But to back to my first question, is somebody trying to acquire Juan Soto right now for, for 12 years? Or do you think that, logically speaking, this is a, we need you right now, nothing else matters? Um, I think most teams would be looking for a trade and sign type of deal, but they're sure as hell not advertising that in negotiations. Um, at, right. Like, you know, you know, like and this is Boris that, again. This is Boris again. So he might not want to do that contract until that that year happens, right? Exactly. So I, I I think that I think you're on the right track. Yeah, I agree. All right. Did the Yankees do this? Because it, it brings me into my next name, which is Giancarlo Stanton. All right. So how how does one hand feed the other here? And both those players cannot be on this roster. Okay. If they're acquiring Juan Soto, something has to happen to Stanton, even though Brian Cashman is now out on a limb saying this is our guy. How can he be the guy? He's your guy for 40 games, right? And even though you're paying half of his actual salary, right? The Marlins are still paying most of this damn thing for Cripe's sake. The, the Yankees have to pay this down and get rid of him, right? Even if Juan Soto doesn't join this roster, okay? There are outfielders available. This, there's a nice crop. I hear they're in Emmanuel Margot. That's a nice name to drop into, into Yankee Stadium for a couple of years. They're, they're shopping like they're replacing Stanton. So I don't believe a thing Cashman said, and I think he's made a, long, a lot of wrong steps this offseason already. But is Soto... Are, are they going to overpay to bring Juan Soto onto this roster. I just don't know that they have the prospects or the healthy prospects, let's put it that way, to get this thing done. I, of course, I don't know. I think that, I think they have to feel like they have to be in. Like, um, they, uh, like the front office, how Cashman has been talking this off season, it does feel a little bit like they're um, mm -hmm. feeling the pressure there. And again, maybe it's not the right thing to compound a bad uh, multiple bad moves with another, uh, you know, overpay or, you know, not that Juan Soto would be a bad move. I'm just saying in the context of this current team, maybe it's not the best timing or situation to be, you know, detracting minor league, you know, prospect type talent to bring in a guy when the rest of your roster is the way it is. But regardless, um, I think they're definitely in on trying for him, whether they can get it done or not. I don't know, but I mean, some of this rhetoric, like lately, like the, specifically the Cashman comments on Stanton and the Stan and Stanton's agents' response. Did you see that? Yeah. About this yeah. is this is why free agents aren't interested in coming okay. to New York. Or something Let's get on this because I was about to have a discussion where the, the Yankees are quickly becoming the Knicks, Dan. And I know you don't follow basketball worth a lick, so let me just preface it by saying this: every single off season. 
every free agent worth a damn is is linked to the Knicks. Why? Because we all want the Knicks to be great. Because Madison Square Garden's an awesome place to watch a game, even on te- even on TV. Everything about the Knicks aura from historical they've won, they've won nothing. I mean, they have, they have 26 less championships than the Yankees do. Let's put it that way, right? They've won nothing, but there's this aura about this team that links every player to it. LeBron was supposed to go there. Durant was supposed to go there. Chris Paul was supposed to go there. Donovan Mitchell was supposed to go there. None of them went there. Okay. The Yankees are starting to feel this way. Like outside of Garrett Cole, who they pillage out of free agency and, and after a nice run in, in Houston, but he was flawed at the time. They've missed on everybody. All right. Like Stanton was their big fish. That's obviously junk. Donaldson was a miss, you know, up and down miss. LeMahieu had a season and he's been an up and down miss. There's a lot of misses, a, a lot of misses, right? So I, I'm with you. I'm actually more excited about the young Yankees, right? The Volpes, the Mingases. I forget the catcher's name, but he looked like he's going to be worth something. There, there's three or four names percolating up this this system, maybe even when they're healthy, an everyday player that feel like they could become the new Yankees. I don't know that dropping Juan Soto on this team right now is the right time for any of that. That that's why this link never made sense to me. Other than you know, it's the Knicks Dallas Cowboys thing, right? Where anybody with a name becomes available, and we have to immediately rush to put them on that team. Exactly. I, I do think the Yankees have tried, so I'm not saying this to to destroy sports media, right? I, I'm saying this because I just don't think it's the right fit. I, I don't think dropping Juan Soto on that team right now. And then also having to move off of Stanton, which is going to cost you somebody, whether it's Glaber Torres, whether it's one of the kids, right? Because you're going to pay down the contract, send somebody with him to get him off the roster, and then who knows what you can get back. But I, I, I'm more excited about the 20-year-old Yankees than I am any of the Yankees 30, 30 plus right now on that roster outside of Cole, who I don't know. You know, at some point in time, he's just going to get fed up and try to try to demand a trade out of there as well. He's, that's just his personality. So... I'm super down on this roster, Dan, and I know we've had up and down conversations every every win projection total time, but I, I'm just not there. I'm much more excited about a Diamondbacks roster, an Orioles roster, even what the Royals are starting to look like, and and, and to some degree. So I I don't know that to me Juan, Juan Soto coming here now is a version of them acquiring Stanton a bunch of years ago, which was so weird at the time and has never not been weird. <laughs> Yeah, no, I um, I agree. I, I, I don't know where they go from here. I'm, I'm just kind of at a loss for words as you lay all that out because I don't know what they do. I mean, they can't. We we talked about Baltimore being such a hitter friendly park for so many years, which detracted from them being able to get any pitchers. I mean, it's kind of the same thing with Yankee Stadium. Like, no left. You, in theory, you need left handed pitchers in the starting rotation, and Mm-hmm. that's just like one of the worst ballparks for, and they've all, all every guy they've tried to add has gotten destroyed there. Um, and yeah, I like the young talent, but as long as you're having to commit major chunks of playing time to guys like Stanton, DJ LeMahieu, et cetera, I think, I, yeah. I think it's going to be tough for them to really transition into that, to the next phase that you just sort of laid out right there. So well, real quickly, and then we'll move off quickly. This is about the Yankees never being able to tank, right? They're just that organization. They can never actually rip the Band-Aid off. They did it. 
you know, 25 years ago and they went through a real bad spot. It was kind of like my baseball trading card highlight years. Yeah. I didn't even give a rat's ass about the Yankees when I pulled the card out <laughs> from them, right? It was that window. And then of course they went on their ridiculous 11 year run or whatever it was. But um, this, this current organization with Cashman in charge doesn't appear to ever want to go down to the basement, even though standings wise, that's sort of where they've been. Right. So I, I, I just think saying what you're saying about Stanton, not even mentioning LeMay, who, you know, I imagine Torres moves off this roster, but all of them really need to go to properly do this right. Even though Garrett Cole's contract, Aaron Judge's contract are going to be left standing here in order for people to start taking them seriously, which I think you started this conversation with right there. They're not a laughing stock, but the, the way they've done business over the past three or four years is turning people away, turning agents away, turning a lot of things away from just the old, the old days where it was the Yankees are in, let's go. No, I, I, I don't really know what else to say because it, it is, they, it, the thing is, Mike, is what you just said. The, they can, they can transition to the next step with some of these young guys they have and, and do that without the dead weight on the roster, which is what you're getting at. They need to in some way move off of these guys because um, like we see the Dodgers never tank, right? Like, and they're just never. savvy about how they go after it. But like, you, you can just see this front office is pressing and just like being questioned on how they handle analytics and the war, this war on analytics. And like, it, it just, none of it adds up to me to, for me to think that they're about to sort of, Turn a corner. To, I agree. To turn to turn a corner by not actually taking a half step back, but optically taking a half step back. Whether mm. that's pressure from their fan base, like they. What I'm trying to say is they could be good again next year by making a few strategic and savvy moves with around the roster that they have. But I don't feel like they're in a, that this front office is primed to to do that, right? But like I do think they're. I, mm. I'm not trying to say there's no talent on that roster. I think they could be very relevant next year for a multitude of reasons. It's just, they, they have to make some hard decisions that on the surface might look like what the hell are the Yankees doing, uh, you know, among that fan base, but that might actually be the best move of the franchise. I just don't feel like we've gotten a lot of that over the last few years. And I, yeah. I really can't remember a move that like, I mean, they have had moves that have worked out. I can't remember the last one that did though. I mean, besides the Karen Cole stuff, right? I know. It's been I know. move after well, move. Well, keeping judge, down. keeping judge was smart. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but it, that's, that's, that was like what we called that maybe the easiest free agent decision of all time, despite being a historic contract. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think we're, we're going a long way to say without saying that I think both of us are surprised. Brian Cashman's still running that show. And the thing that's going to change unless he does the uncomfortable thing of moving some of these bodies out of town, and that's not his style, is he's going to be the first to go. It's, he's going to be the fall guy here at some point in time if 2024 looks like 2023 in any semblance. And that's a shame because the next man or woman in is going to have a, a big old mess to clean up to do this the right way, even though it's not the Yankees way, which has just not worked. So it's, it's wild. All right, quickly, let's do some rapid fire stuff here. Um, the Rays, I mentioned Margot, Tyler Glasnow is a candidate. I've mentioned three or four. I did a, a piece a while ago on spotrate.com where I, I kind of threw myself on, under the bus and said, I, I think this might be it. 
I think this Rays team knows they have to sell off some significant parts right now from a financial standpoint. And I'm not sure they're going to be competitors here in 2024. Do you feel that's where we're headed? Or do you think they're just going to trim a little bit of fat and try to be a 90-win team still? A lot, a lot of starting pitcher injuries, man. Tons. Yeah, the pitching is decimated um, to the I mean, the pitching was kind of decimated last year to the point where they're going to now get a couple of those guys probably back midseason next year. But still, I think this will be a little bit of a retooling year mm-hmm. for the Rays. They always are in contention somehow down the stretch. And I think that's they, they'll have the pieces to make that happen again. But I don't really expect them to be um, like uh, uh, like one of my favorites for the division this year or anything like that. Not that that yeah. means anything. I just mean like in the betting market, I don't think. Uh, like they're going to make moves to like at, at any point this offseason really be considered uh, one of the front end teams uh, at this point. No, Just I, I, I think the, <laughs> the the three or four Tommy Johns that are hanging out there right now on that roster, plus the uh, the Wander Franco stuff, which that's the it's going to come to a head here. And it's it's bigger than, you know, we want it to be. It's a really important piece to their puzzle. And it was basically the cornerstone contract on that team that doesn't do cornerstone contracts. So the fact that this one deal is going to, you know, light up and and explode here in a second is is tough and seems like the right time for them to have one of their retooling off seasons where it's not so much about staying competitive this year but quickly shuffling themselves for 2025 and on. It feels like that. All right, I can't I can't have this conversation. By the way, I'm not going to have the Otani conversation. Are you proud of me? We're going to we're going to I'm going to leave it out of an entire podcast and then wow. he's probably he's probably going to sign tomorrow morning and I'm going to regret every single instance of this, but uh no way. He's taking 30 steak dinners, right? He's going to he's going to absolutely schmooze this thing for 2 months. He I I saw a report yesterday. I'm talking about him now. I saw a report yesterday that he's he's going to negotiate with teams secretly. Oh, oh, so you're not going to you're not going to tweet how it went with the Brewers when you met with them? I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah. Everything so is everything right now. We're not having the conversation. I do I didn't mean to tell you this though. I don't know if uh you heard in uh, Jason Stark's recent podcast though Seattle was his prediction. Yeah, that's and my number 2. You, and I know you've been on that was your why that's been kind of like your hot wild card for like literally numerous years now for people who have been listening. I know Mike, you've been on that for a long time. Not that, I mean, not that Jason Stark has inside info or anything, but I thought that was a prominent name to kind of throw that out there. That uh, was a little bit interesting. I'll, re- so. I'll recap my top five for you. Cause I did it on Thursday's pod with Brandon. It's Dodgers. It's Mariners. It's Rangers. It's Cubs. I forget who my fifth was, but was it Boston? No, it's not Boston. I think it's the Braves. The Braves, yes. Dodgers, Mariners, Rangers, Cubs, Braves are my top five for Otani. So he signs with the Giants for what, 450? That's probably what happened. (laughs) The team that I'm leaving out, right? Even though I think it's a good fit there. All right, quickly. uh, Not Otani, but we got to talk Trout. Is this just simply Trout doesn't want to leave? Because it's the right time to leave. You know, it's the right time to ask the angels to pay down this contract, pull back a haul and get me out of here so we can just kind of restart this whole process. Is it, is it Trout saying, I'm good, leave it alone? Is it Artie Moreno saying, I got this big freaking Rendon contract. I still got this Trout contract. We do have some pitching. They do, right? Uh, you know, Tani was one of them, not anymore. But they do have some semblance of starting pitching that they've started to build up finally. I don't know. Is is it, are they just too invested to rip the band-aid totally off or is this coming from Mike Trout specifically, Dan, in your opinion? Mm. 
I don't know. I really don't know. I I've come around. I've way come around to a trade compared to where I was even in the last couple months yeah. here. Um, but I don't, I don't know what to think. Marine Let me do this. Say. Let me set it up this way. Cause we've had a long talk about it. If a team swings and misses on Juan Soto this year, is it viable that they could reach out and, and, and try to overpay for Mike Trout right now? Or do you think that's just not happening this year specifically, even though Atani's about to walk out the door? I think it's obviously plausible, but yeah, the money I know situation it's crazy. is, is going to be difficult there. Right. And, and does, if, if Mike Trout says I'm happy in LA, I don't know that he has says that or will say that. I mean, obviously he's happy there, but I mean, wants to stay there and finish his career there. Then maybe the angels say, well, we would have to eat a huge chunk of this anyway. So why not just have him here finish out his career as a lifelong angel? Like I get all of that. That might literally be within the realm of possibility here. Um, but I, I don't, yeah. I don't know where this ends up, but I'm, I'm, I think it trends more towards a trade that like a guy who's never really had any postseason um, relevancy to, to, want to kind of find that in the final years of his career here. So <clears throat> seven years remaining at 35 and a half per year. So that's the, uh, that's the contract we're talking about here. Last question on trout. Cause obviously we're speculating, um, but it does feel like we're way more advanced in this discussion this year than we were this time last year, even though the, you know, the discussions about when Otani leaves started last year and obviously trout's going to be linked to that if he goes. All right. And, I would imagine Artie Moreno is going to work with Trout on whatever is going to happen here. And certainly, you know, it's about getting the best package back for him because that's what you do when you do something like this. Are you looking for Trout to drop into a Phillies organization, right? Somebody who is a Braves organization, somebody who's rock solid, maybe has eight out of the nine pieces already figured out and is simply looking to put five extra cherries on top of the Sunday with a player like Trout who isn't an everyday player. Let's be honest about what Mike Trout has been for a while now. He's maybe a hundred, 110 game player. You know, there's an injury or two every single year, unfortunately. And that's kind of the going rate with many superstar baseball players right now. So are you looking for him to join an established group and just be another guy in that organization? Or is he still the player that you love to see in Kansas city or in Baltimore as that sort of dad in the locker room, that's easily the highest paid player in that locker room and at times can carry that franchise to the next level up the, up the ladder. What, what is Mike Trout right now for the, for maybe the next three of seven years? Oh, I think he would be, I mean, if they're, if they're utilizing his opinion for any of this, like I assume he would be going to a good situation where he's like the final piece sort of thing. And like, and like, um, in recent years, it seems he's been more successful. Like I know for a while there, like the Joe Madden years, I remember a Joe Madden interview where like Trout insisted on trying to play and playing center field, despite, you know, some of their um, advanced metrics suggesting maybe he needed to be moved off of that. So he granted though, he dedicated a full off season towards becoming a better center fielder did become that, but still at his age probably needs to move off of that. I think he, has been way more susceptible to that in more in recent seasons. So maybe if he, you saying he's not really an everyday uh, fielder or player anymore, maybe that is from a fielding perspective, but I think he could still give you 500 plus ABs as like a DH who gets some innings in the outfield or something like that. So maybe 
defining a situation like that, but a contender plus that specific of a situation is kind of a narrow, um, uh, you know, thread to spot to thread there. So, all right, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say it out loud then. When the Mariners don't get Otani, and I think they won't, even though they're top three, this is the guy. This is the guy I want in Seattle as a part time outfielder. Right there with Julio Rodriguez, right? I mean, could not be a better one-two mentorship, right? I mean, my goodness. I That's what I want to happen. I want this to be a yin and yang situation in Seattle where if Otani doesn't come, and, and by the way, maybe even if he does come, right? Because Otani's only going to cost you a gigantic amount of money and a qualifying offer compensation, right? That's what he's going to cost you to bring in right now. Trout's prospects and maybe not as much money, right? I mean, how much can you can you get LA to pay down, you know, for a, for a decent amount of prospects going back. I I would be perfectly fine with Otani and Trout or just Trout joining this Seattle organization that I think is really ready to ramp it up. If a couple of those starting pitcher situations work out better than they had, they did last year. So I'm going to, I'm going to continue my Seattle love in terms of big acquisitions, by the way, a GM who loves making big acquisitions. So this is not out of his realm by any means. Um, So that's my call. I don't know if it's this year. Uh, it may be mid-season, right? That they may have to take a look at what this Angels organization actually is. And I think you know when we get like the Zips predictions and stuff like that, we're going to know a lot about what this Angels team is going to look like. But I, I, I do think we're we're nearing that point in time that John Carlos Stanton's contract is is bought down, is paid down to be moved, and Mike Mike Trout's contract is probably right on the heels of that. Makes sense. Yeah, I. I think it's all within the realm of possibility. So, <clears throat> okay. Um, more trades to come. I'm sure the non-tender deadlines are here. The 40 man rosters are pretty much all established. We're up to date because of a lot of work by you on spotdread.com. So if that's something you care about right now, which is tracking projected payrolls, projected tax payrolls, we are, I think as good as we can do about, we've given it about 102% here over the past few weeks to get ourselves allocated and get all these optioned and designated players out of the way and cleaned up. So we'll continue down that path as, as many of these decisions are made. Um, all the qualifying offers are getting punted on, right? That's an easy call before I let you go. Nobody's, nobody's accepting that qualifying offer. Oh no, they already declined them all. Yeah. All gone. All gone. All are getting paid well. There'll, there'll be nice compensation return for those players. Um, and that's probably our next item of list is some actual free agent signings, even though generally speaking, that doesn't happen until December. But good stuff for now, Dan. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. <clears throat>